so a lot of times when we go through life, we have certain things that pick us up, things that are we have to deal with, things we have to walk through. And I really like what uh, this the Message Bible says on one verse that we're going to talk about today. And um, check. There we go. Can't you see that the central issue in all of this, is, it is not what you and I do. Can't you see what the central issue is? It's not what you and I do. It is, and I mean, if there's a, then there's something about circumcision and I could go into that, but that really doesn't need to be said at this moment. The last part of the verse is, it is what God is doing and he is creating something totally new, a free life. It's not what you and I do, it is what God's doing. And he's creating a new life, a free life. But I don't know about you, but sometimes a free life uh, seems to be hard to come by. And um, we sometimes uh, walk through valleys and situations and it doesn't feel very free. Um, I remember back when I was a kid that anytime I would be at the playground or I would fall off and I would do certain things and I hurt myself, I would get a bruise. And the first thing that my dad did was he would look at where it hurt and then he put his finger on it and push it. Uh, you know, he wouldn't have made a very good doctor. Someone else does that? Lee, do you do that? You've traumatized your kids like that? And Matt, you did too? I thought it was only my dad. Wow, I'm, I don't know, but a bruise kind of tells us that there's something's gone wrong underneath the skin. Now, uh, there may be a doctor in the crowd, which there is, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I, I want to say that a bruise means that there's something wrong, and poking it really doesn't help. And in this passage of the scripture in in Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 15 and I read you verse 15 it's it's uh, talking about uh, what happens when situations like bruises come to our lives we sometimes are so focused on the do's and don'ts and on making life make sense that we have really no plan or we get overwhelmed or we get, we resign to the bruises of life and we just sometimes incorporate them into our worldview. We, um, we want to overcome them. We pretend that they don't exist. But what happens in this 
in this area? What what we we want everything the way we want it. We want nice parks. We want good roads. We want good government. We want all these things. Yet there's so so many imperfections that are all around us. How do you deal with that? And then when it comes to our own lives, how do we deal with our own imperfections? Well, one of the ways that the world deals with that is through mentorship. There's a good uh, a business in mentoring. You can get your own mentor to help you succeed in doing the right things at the right time in order for you to get the right result. Wow. Mentorship. So, but sometimes even then it, it, it doesn't seem to work. Um, and then we, we put people on a pedestal, uh, people that are celebrities, people that we admire. And when we see their bruises, we go, oh, that's not what I thought that was. Did you know that um, the late president uh, Ford, her, his wife, Betty, uh, created a, a place where people could go to do their battle with substance abuse. It was mainly for celebrities, people who we put on a pedestal and, and um, she opened this first rehabilitation clinic with her physician, James West. And uh, it was popularized because uh, now we think it's normal, but then it was kind of popular. We, it was a place for the least celebrities in North America could go for rehab. Now rehab seems to be a common word today. And every month you will hear about another celebrity going there. And even though they're rich and famous, they're not above the same personal problems that the rest of us face. And unlike us, we have to deal with these things under the public eye. So how? Now, as a consequence, Betty Ford has popularized the practice of celebrities, checking them into lavish private resorts in an attempt to fix their problems and addictions. And most recently, uh, Harvey Weinstein, a movie executive who was exposed with the Me Too movement, uh, failed to complete his 42-day sex addiction course. So, although we have rehab programs and we have mentors and they often don't work. Why? Well, Amy Winehouse said this in a song about rehab. She said, they tried to make me go to rehab, but I said, no, no, no. She later passed away from an overdose, but her words put a finger on a real issue. Those who make the mess must want to clean it up. You see, we have, we have bruises and situations and circumstances that we all face. But in order to, to get through it, you have to face it. And it leads to a second important truth. Those who want to change cannot do it on their own. You can try, but it, it's very hard to do and almost impossible. 
And that's another reason why the celebrity rehab centers are made, rich, made rich and powerful people don't have to be in submission to anybody. They find it hard to close, be close to others and they struggle with trusting people. But here in the wisdom of few sentences, Paul says this, that there is a thing called a spirit of gentleness. Maybe I should just quickly read this because I live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete the law in Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Make careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity that you've entered into a generous common life with those who have been trained, who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled to one who makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. A person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All they have to show for in life is weeds, but the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get to a chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Now, in these last sentences, I want to emphasize in the bold scrawls of my personal handwriting, the immense importance of what I've written to you. These people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking courage to live by faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. And all their talk about the law is gas. Mm. You could have another word for that, couldn't you? That was just a funny joke in my mind. They themselves don't keep the law. They are highly selective in the laws they do observe. They only want to be circumcised so they can boast their success in recruiting you to their side. That is contemptible. For my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have to been crucified in relation to the world, set free from stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the patterns that they dictate. Can you see the central issue in all of this? It's not what you and I do. Submit to circumcision, reject circumcision. It's what God is doing, and he is creating something totally new, a free life. There are a lot of things that happen in today's world that you and I can't begin to control. But one thing we, we have been given, and that is a, a capacity to be gentle one with another. 
And I guess the spirit of gentleness, what in the world is that? Well, a spirit of gentleness treats a patient with empathy by not putting themselves above the transgressor. So you and I are not any better than someone else going through a difficult circumstance. Okay? So this, what does it mean when it says keep watch on yourselves? If you're helping someone else clean up their mess, don't let yourself think you're unable to do the same. Humility creates sensitivity. So many people try to help others, but they only compound the problem because their love comes with a tone of superiority. Well, look at that. Gina went and walked right in front of me. And I am the supreme person here. Is that a spirit of gentleness? No. If you're going to have, if you're going to help someone else carry the weight, then put yourself in their shoes for as long as you're lifting it. You know, sometimes helping others can be a, I, I like what Bill Johnson says. He says, there are no poopless cows. Because there's no poopless cows, there are no people without problems. And you, because you may not be where that other person is, doesn't mean that you won't face circumstances that will put you right where they are. A spirit of gentleness gets permission to deal with the real issue. It's not fair or helpful to diagnose someone without their permission. And just because you've identified the problem doesn't mean you have the solution. A spirit of gentleness does not let you become people's policemen. Some days I would really like to do that. I would like to say, you, sir or ma'am, you need a mom very, very badly. We used to teach our kids when they were young. Um, so I don't know where this came from. We didn't teach them. It was Hook. Everyone see the movie Hook? Okay, in there there's a line that says, you need a mom and you need one very, very badly because they were acting so immature. Our kids used to see some people around them and they go, they would whisper and go, they need a mom. They need our mom very, very badly. <laughs> that should give you a little clue. Paul says that we are to keep watch on ourselves, not to keep watch on a transgressor. Restoration might involve the new boundaries and a lot of ongoing confrontation. It might mean trust is broken. It doesn't mean you have the right to manage someone else's world without their invitation. Even as a pastor, when I see people that are in difficult circumstances, I still have to be invited into the circumstance in order to help. It's, every, it's in everyday walk of life. If you were in the business world, if you were working for whoever, you have to be invited into the situation in order to help. Even in our world today, in dealing with issues that are confronting 
the business and the operation of, of society. We have issues of alcohol and of drug abuse and all of those things. And if you look through the policy manual of some organizations, the only way you're gonna get help is if you ask for it. It's no difference in the church. The goal of restoration is to bring the person who is having a bruise, who's missed the mark, into a place of self-control. And if you're controlling them, then, you're, then they aren't controlling themselves. And sometimes this is an emergency stopgap measure so the person doesn't hurt themselves. But watch yourself. This sort of thing lasts a, a second longer than a crisis. It becomes codependency. You see, if you're unable to get the right behavior out of a someone by controlling them, you, you'll have to control them forever. And you see, bruises are there, they're designed to say there's something wrong, but that there is an ongoing work to bring healing to that situation. And the thing is, is that some people like to continue to make the bruise bigger. They get a bruise by doing something they shouldn't, and then they ask for help and they can't make change, and then they go and get another bruise, and then another bruise. And we would call that, in normal thing, we would take that person and control the atmosphere, or control the situation so they wouldn't hurt themselves again. And sometimes in society, we've, we've created those things. But it's not quite normal in a spirit of gentleness. People have to be able to say, I need help. You can help them by being invited into the situation. Now, what else is there in this, in this uh, passage? Well, um, have you ever helped someone move? Usually it involves free pizza. And the problem is, isn't the work you're doing, and it isn't the wasted Saturday, it's the unclear boundaries about stuff you're lifting. Now, I've moved from Vancouver Island to here, and in the middle of winter, and it was minus 50 below. And um, I found out that my stuff that I packed on Vancouver Island was a little different when I got here 50 below zero. Um, I, had a, I had a friend who helped me in Comox, helped me move and we rented a U-Haul and we got stuck on Rogers Pass overnight because you couldn't, because it was snowbound and all of those things. So you have to imagine with me all the way from Vancouver Island to here, got stuck in a day up in the main mountains and we finally got here and um, it was a little too cold to move. So I kept the stuff in the truck. Then after a couple of days, it warmed up to I think minus 30 or something like that. <laughs> and we, we took the stuff out of the truck. And um, there was a few dings, scratches things broken 
all in all in the name of saving this a bit of money in order to move from there to here and um, I trusted his expertise but when we got here my valuables were quite damaged and he felt terrible my friend felt really bad but then he just had to shrug what could he do he couldn't pay for it and I wouldn't dare ask him to either we just looked at the scratches and the dents and said I guess that's the way the stuff is going to be now well my wife was crying over to the side <laughs> no the crying part is made up but the thing that sucks about helping people is the is the lack of clear responsibility in our text Paul says bear one another burdens and then he follows it by saying each will have to bear his own load so which is it bear one another or bear your own load what how did he do that well it's a complicated and delicate dance to help people without taking responsibility for them it's right when someone else asks you with asks help with your sorry it's right when someone else helps you with your problem but you must not make them the new owner of your problem it's still your stuff and they cannot work harder on the problems than you do there's no hard fast rules here each relationship and circumstance is different but in the end good boundaries keep people responsible for their own lives so here are some helpful questions when you are walking through and trying to carry loads what do you do carry someone else's load and carry my own load here are some helpful questions am I expecting more of someone else than I expect for myself am I looking for a quick fix or am I okay with this being a process and sometimes when you're going through a bruise, you want that bruise to fix really quick. The people who are hurting want it fixed really quick. But you have to realize that the bruise got there over time sometimes, and it takes time to fix the bruise. Am I relying on someone else to do what I am unwilling to do? Good question. So Paul goes on and says, um, Share all good things with one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, that which you will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will only come from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So let's not grow weary of doing good. So the nuance here is that Paul is talking about those who do good towards people, who, who stumble, and those who teach ones are ready to learn he's saying the people who help you move forward in life deserve your honor sometimes when we have a bruise and someone comes along to help us sometimes when we get into a dysfunctional relationship we lose the honor because we are expecting them to carry the load that sometimes we ourselves aren't ready to, to lift or we don't lift um, how do I how do I uh, explain this a little more he 
he's saying here that those people who are sowing for an eternal harvest, God will make sure they get their reward. It's oftentimes discouraging and disheartening to work with people. Like Peter, we say, how many times do I have to forgive them? You're must, but we must remember this sort of work is rewarded by God. You might not see the fruit of your faithful friendship in your lifetime, but be present but be present to people anyway. You're gonna need help, and if you're gonna have the opportunity to give help, be humble enough to give and receive. Don't sacrifice your soul over your pride. Self-sufficiency keeps people away from one another, and then they never get the benefit of seeing breakthrough in other people's lives. God has a principle of sowing and reaping for a reason. It's a principle. If I sow, this stuff, I'm going to reap this stuff. It often happens. But let's be clear. Sowing and reaping no longer has the ultimate power over us. We don't live under karma. We live under grace. So what's this sowing and reaping? Well, if I allow myself to sow to the flesh, it will always look like something and I may receive the consequences of that so let's say if I need a beer to relax in the evening then I keep sowing that seed there may be consequences that I'll have a big gut I may spend too much of my finances and even worse I may have an alcohol dependency but sowing to the spirit may look like inviting a friend over to help you relax instead Sowing to the flesh might look like blowing up at people because you think they deserve it. If you keep sowing that seed, you'll eventually surround yourself with fragile, resentful people. But sowing to the spirit might look like letting someone else call you out on your temper. And maybe exploring the underlying causes of your disproportional anger. What is all of this all about? How many of you seen The Hobbit? Okay, good. I'm glad that some people have. Lord of the Rings? Some more. Of all of you that didn't raise your hands, you are more Christian then? Because all of those were movies that we all went to. I mean, you can't. I remember camping out in front of the theater and um, wanting to see all of those three to four hour movies. Now, there was two hobbits. One was Frodo, and the other was Samwise. Now, Frodo, because he sticks with Frodo for the whole journey, even though he doesn't have the weight the, to carry the weight of the whole thing, he is Frodo's main dude to help him look after this ring, right? The ring attempts everyone to corruption, even Frodo, but it destroys Gollum, who used it, it when Gollum had it, it destroyed him. And uh, so Sam knows his role in the story and he's gonna provide emotional support and stability to Frodo and respect this burden is still not his to bear. But when Frodo falters from sheer exhaustion, Sam is right there and he says, I might not be able to carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. 
And it's the loving resolve of Samwise that makes Frodo successful in destroying the ring. Sometimes you're going to have to face something ugly in your life. You're going to have to make a long journey to Mordor just to destroy the weight of something hanging around your neck. But be sure to bring your friends along. So maybe you might get to be Sam to someone else, a faithful friend who carries the other person in their heart. So what does all this mean? The idea here, folks, is we want to build a community where your lives matter and that you prosper. Not just financially, but you prosper emotionally. That you prosper in your life. As a pastor, I wish I could wave my magic wand and give you all the perfect life that you need and you, you should have. But life doesn't, as my dad would say, because as kids growing up, we used to say, Dad, that's not fair. And what his words to me was, life isn't fair. It isn't. We will all face bruises in life that we have to deal with. As a Christian community, it's our desire and our hope that we would be people on which we could bear one another's burdens, not carry it for you, but to allow a spirit of gentleness to work through us towards each other. And that spirit of gentleness is to bring healing to that bruise. See, the whole reason why you can, well, the thing, what God is doing is God is creating a new life, a free life. A free life is one that is full of his spirit that allows you to walk in the spirit of gentleness that is needed. I am, uh, I am truly thankful for the people that God has put into my life that is created, that is had that has been a source of spirit of gentleness and that I have been able to do that for others. But the thing is, we are all on this journey and at one point in life, we're going to need someone else to help us or we're going to have to stand in the gap for someone else. You cannot live life as an island. You can try. It may feel like you're an island, but in order for you to be successful and prosperous in more than just your pocketbook, you need the spirit of gentleness. You need to see the bearing of one another's burdens and carrying your own and seeing a free life take place. Because don't get me wrong, this is wonderful of what we're doing right here. But what makes a difference is when someone stands up and tells you their testimony of how they've been helped, healed, and brought through their bruise, makes everybody want to go, I want that to happen in my life because I've got bruises there. The Spirit of God can bring healing but he uses you and I to help bear the burden so that we can see the Spirit of God work in and through people's lives. What's going to make a difference in the world today is 
people not just having mentors, but people who have the spirit of gentleness coming alongside those that are hurting and providing a place where there is genuine sowing and reaping of the things that can bring free life. That's what everything's all about. Thank you.